Hey, everybody, this is Rev Yearwood here on the coolest show. I'm here with the other host and producers. I'm here with Tamara, Destiny, and Cross. And we have been wrapping up the care and repair arc and its importance. So we want to notify you about the recess. And so I want to just make sure and get everybody in here. So Destiny, Cross, Tamara, we're taking, we're taking a little time off. What's happening? Des? Yeah. Well, for folks who just heard the incredible arc that we've done on care and repair, shout out to Climate Critical Earth, shout out to all of our amazing guests, the importance of taking time to take care of yourself, to check in on where you are, to check in on the work that you're doing and if it's meaningful, um, and to make sure that we're not burnt out ourselves. We've been doing great work at The Coolest Show for five seasons now. That is a milestone. That is an accomplishment. So shout out to all of us on this call and all the team who's not here. Um, but that also means that we can break. We can take care of ourselves and we can check in on, on how we're showing up for you all that are listening and also how we're showing up for ourselves and our team. So I think the recess is critical. It's rejuvenating. It's refreshing. Um, and how can we encourage you all to take rest and take time for care and repair if we're not doing that ourselves? Um, so yeah, it's just living what we're speaking and the content that we're producing. That's right. Tomorrow. Yeah. I just want to thank everybody for digging in because the only way out is in, uh, in the words of my other favorite reverend, uh, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, it's time to do us rest. So I'm very excited to take a short break to recalibrate Think about all the things that we don't do when we're thinking about this work. And I'm excited to be back with less uh, melanin under our eyelids. So super glad for, for a little time. Cross? Yeah, and like Tamara said, you know, a short break. Um, we're going to use this time to retool. Um, and so, you know, we plan on just kind of taking the summer, um, you know, spend some time with our families, um, um, you know, do some things that folks just normally don't get to do. You know what I'm saying? We've been, you know, just as everyone, we've been working so hard um, and we're going to still be working hard. We're going to still be meeting um, and everything, but we plan to be back in August. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, while we're gone, definitely, uh, you know, if you miss us, definitely take the time to go back and listen to some of the uh, <laughs> past episodes because there are plenty of them available and, you know, so much content and so much, you know, so many things that we've discussed that we just, also felt like, you know, we don't want to overwhelm you, you know, with just information because we have a lot of it. And so, you know, we thank you again um, for, for being, you know, listeners, for, for continuing to, to tune in. And, um, you know, uh, we're taking this time to bring you a better, better, better show and, you know, and to figure out better ways to, to help our people. Nah, thank you all. Our last episode you're going to hear this be Cop City. It's going to come to you on World Environment Day. And we chose that because racial justice is climate justice and climate justice is racial justice. At the end of the day, stop Cop City. All power to the people. We love you. Thank you for being an amazing listener to The Coolest Show. Take care. This is The Coolest Show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show, you know, keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show, you know, in your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, what got you covered as you hit your destination? Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show, you know, it's the hip hop call.
One time when I was in New York, I was speaking, and when I was speaking in New York, a young brother came to me, and I was doing an environmental uh, conversation. Young brother, he might be about 12 or 13, and it was in the same place, actually, where Sean Bell had been murdered. And he came to me, and when he came to me, he he just said, man, Rev, man, I wish other environmentalists looked like you. And I was like, I, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know what I mean? That was, that was, that was what's up. But he, he got me, like most of the 12, 13-year-olds. He set me up a little bit there, in which then he asked me this question behind that. He says, but I got to ask you this question, Rev. I said, what's up? Yeah. You know, and he's like, uh, but why do you want to save hell so bad? And then that one got me. He was like, why do you want to save hell so bad? And that's what it really means. A lot of folks who I know tuned in right now to the coolest show, a lot of y'all from different backgrounds, you know. But the reality is that for black, brown, and indigenous, particularly indigenous people fighting for sovereignty, sometimes we are fighting not only from the standpoint of climate justice, but also for racial justice. And sometimes in this process, all that gets missed when we come together. So right now, I'm so glad to have this powerful, amazing conversation and discussion uh, with those who are here. I want to make sure to give an a update that this conversation will, this there's a trigger warning. You know, we will get into it. We will talk about folks who have been murdered by the police. We will discuss police violence. And so we also want to make sure that we are, uh, you understand this show. And so I want to kick it off first by just letting you know the guest that we have on today's show. Uh, first and foremost, I was surprised because she came into the studio. She's actually driving and she then popped up on the screen on the studio. And that's no other than Yonazaha Lonewood, my dear sister, my comrade in the movement. Yonazaha, how are you doing? I am doing wonderful, Rev. You know, you are my, my big brother in the movement. We've been on the front lines many, many places from Standing Rock to Flint to name it. I mean, you are always that national organizer that I always call. I, you are never, there's nothing that I, I don't feel that I can move forward in without calling you. And so I just want to thank you for having me and uh, my constituents on the, my movement family on the coolest show. And, and this is, this is amazing. It's such a, an amazing honor. So thank you so much. Nah, well, we're going to come right back to that. Just to make sure we have two other guests because we know that you're driving. So I'll make sure I got this, this, this brother here, man. You know, we've been riding in circles. I've probably seen him doing stuff. He's probably seen me doing stuff. So it's, it's, it's just like, it's like coming together. It's like, it's just crazy. And we have uh, uh, a brother who's actually founded. Black Power Media. I mean, done so much. I mean, I've, I've known from uh, Malcolm X grassroots movement and other just hearing to pop up, but Kamal Franklin. Kamal, how are you doing, man? It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you too, bro. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, I think it truly is the coolest show that I know of. And so it is a pleasure to be in company with you and the other guests and to talk about such an important issue for our community. So thanks so much for having me, good brother. Nah, thank you. And our other guests, they have been on as well from Shot Town. <laughs> Obviously, she went to my school at Howard University. 
uh, uh, Destiny Harris. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be in community and that y'all asked me to come back on the show. I think I met Kamal when I went down to Atlanta um, with the comrade of mine, Spyu. We briefly like crossed paths. Um, and so I'm really excited to be here and just to talk about like the connections of like our movements across across the diaspora, across the country. This conversation, we're going to get into what many uh, call Cop City, um, and and it's in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, in the Willany Forest, and we're going to get into that proposed site and and talk about the the history of the environmental racism in Southeast Atlanta. And the reason why we wanted to have on here, you know, Nazaha is because we also want to connect the history of the struggle with what we did together with Standing Rock. Um, and how that connects into this, and obviously, uh, Queen Yonazaha Lomov is obviously from is in um, Atlanta, uh, and so we want her to give her perspective. I want to kick it off with her, and then I want to make sure and get into Kamal, who's just been doing such an amazing job, bringing such a great report via social media and on the ground, and making sure the voices from Morehouse and Spellman and other things have been there, and just making sure just to counter. Um, and as well as uh, it's important for us because the struggle just doesn't happen. What's happening with Cop City in Atlanta is not just happening just there in Atlanta. We know it's happening there in Pittsburgh um, uh, in that aspect. Um, uh, shout out to Jasiri X and the whole crew at One Hood and shout out to what, what, Des what Destiny Harris is doing out there with, with the situation in Chicago. So we want to make sure bring these things in for this conversation. But we, as we know, here in the coolest show, you got to know who you're talking to. So we're just going to start off first with you, my dear sister. You know, who is, I love this question. My goodness, I need you to give it, give, give it, give it 100. Cause I know you, are go, I know, you can, <laughs> I know you. So I need you to give this one. But who is Queen Yonazaha Lone with and who is your community? Um, well, my name is um, Apatu Washte. My name is Yonazaha Lone Wolf. I am a proud Ogallala Lakota Native American and Black woman. I am enrolled in my tribe. Um, I'm originally from everywhere, um, but mostly Phoenix, Arizona. Um, born in um, Howard University during the American Indian Movement Longest Walk. Um, so I was literally born in the movement. Um, I moved to Atlanta to Georgia in 2000 and um, in 2014 and, and, and I my community is the people. I have been on many grassroots um, levels um, basically you know as an indigenous woman um, being um, original inhabitants of the land being black and Lakota it is in our DNA to be communal it's in our DNA to be able to be tribal it's in our DNA to work as a community in order for us to be able we cannot as a leader so my community as as a national organizer as an activist as you know as the people may say that I'm a leader I am not that without my community I cannot be I cannot move without guidance of Reverend Yearwood without guidance of Kamau without guidance of those that have been came before me I cannot so anytime I go into a community I always get with the grassroots elders the grassroots young people 
the grassroots people that's within my age, my age demographic and people that are living the experience of whatever it is that we are organizing for. And I think that that is really important is to get back to our indigenous roots of being communal and knowing that there is an order with that. And that is something that I have done throughout the years as a national and international organizer is that's the first thing I do is get with the community. Rev, you already know. Kamal, you already know. We go in the mud. We'll go into the mud of our people and to be able to build that community. Um, so that's who I am. I'm your sister. That's I'm, I'm your sister. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you this question because I know I'm going to come to Kamal about what is Cop City and all those, you know, all the, the, the technical questions and we're going to get into the, the details of it. But I want to ask you this question because I'm not sure. I don't want to lose you. And as you're driving, I want people to hear from yes. you. I need this. So one of the things that we've noticed here in regards to Standing Rock and what we're seeing now in Cop City is that sometimes it feels like the weight, the power of the environmental movement doesn't show up how it needs to show up. When they How they showed up for the Inflation Reduction Act and those kind of things or other things that they they deem important. When it comes to black, brown, and indigenous sovereignty, um, it seems like they don't they're not showing up the same way. They 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 they're, they're like watching, and it seems sometimes usatory. And so I just want to ask you, as someone who is now has been has been observing and been a part and been vocal about what's happening in Atlanta, and also someone who is a part of Standing Rock. Maybe you might want to tell folks to you know, give a little one-two on what, is, what was Standing Rock and what is Standing Rock. But just tell me from your, as, a, as an indigenous black woman, just your perspective of that. Do you feel that sometimes the climate movement is not all in when it comes to racial justice? Thank you for that question. And I love answering this question because this is this is 500 years of colonialism of separation. Our common enemy have separated our fight. They purposely had pushed Native Americans onto the reservations, black folks next to the slave master to make sure that there was no unity, to make sure that our that our unity, even when they took when they started taking Mexico, to make sure that the unity of the black, brown and red people of the of this of this nation did not come together because they know our unity is so powerful. So even in our civil rights, social justice, environmental fight, that has been a separation by marketing, by propaganda. What a lot of people don't know is that the American Indian movement, I was born during the longest walk. The longest walk was a protest from Alcatraz, San Francisco to Washington, D.C. My mother did all the PR work for the longest walk. And she did a lot of the organizing. Larry Anderson, who was a Diné, um, um, aim, aimster gangster, American Indian movement leader. He's the one that named me, Yanajaha. And so being so on that walk. And what a lot of people don't know because of the marketing, 
and the propaganda as time progressed was that it was the Rainbow Coalition. It was the Black Panthers. It was the Nation of Islam. It was the, it was all of these amazing people from all various backgrounds that actually went on that walk to support the Native, the uh, Longest Walk American Indian Movement in order for us to get the Freedom of Religious Act. See, before 1978, we could not burn sage. Now we burn sage everywhere. We couldn't pray in public. All of these things were forbidden if it wasn't for the American Indian and the unity between all of these people of the four directions to come together. But see, they don't want to tell you that history. Another thing, when we talk about environmental injustices, black people have been fighting against the environment since the beginning. We have been in the most poorest um, communities with, with no food. Where we're, we have been growing farms. We've been fighting for farms. You know, we was given, or we was promised 40 acres in the mule. Some got it, some did not get it. But with that, they were fighting for that 40 acres in a mule. The environment was something that we always wanted was land. Then you have, but the thing is, is that they're like, okay, no, let's make the civil rights movement. Black lot, you know, police brutality. That is a black fight. Then you have, oh, indigenous people, Native American people love the land. The climate justice fight is their fight. Then, then when we talk about um, immigration, oh, that's that's Latinos. They have marketed, and we, as people of color, continue to perpetuate the same exact propaganda, not realizing that we all are in this together. As you know, when we was in Standing Rock Rev, Standing Rock Tribe reached out to me to be in a consultant and to help them bring in non-Native people. Standing Rock is my sister tribe, the Hunk Papa. They're my sister tribe. So, and that, and that is my ancestral tribal treaty land that we was fighting for. As a black and native woman, I'm probably the darkest person that came up there before you came up there, Rev. <laughs> but we go up there and we're really, you and I both was really trying to have, we was having a hard time trying to get black people to understand that this water isn't, isn't about, it's, it's not a, one of the things that you said that I always quote was we had black people, we had the civil rights movement but this Standing Rock movement was a human rights movement. It was a human rights fight that all of us had to be able to do. I mean, how to fight. Everyone didn't realize in the black community that if that pipeline was built, that people in St. Louis, Chicago, even down here in Atlanta, Georgia, that that once that pipeline um, was built and, and, and as well as the oil, if, if it leaked, then it will affect all of our water. We didn't really start understanding water until Flint happened because Flint was a predominantly black community. We didn't really understand environmental injustices with um, until we saw what happened in your hometown of Louisiana with Cancer City. You know, those, that's another predominant black community. They have constantly tried to keep us separated. One thing that I'm seeing down here in Atlanta, Georgia with Cop City is the unification of the four directions of our people. Being here in Atlanta, 
I have, I'm usually the, the token, the token Indian. <laughs> I'm usually the token Indian to come and to be able to say the prayer and to talk and to try to amplify native voices. For the first time in a long time, I'm seeing Muscogee Creek people come home. They're coming home and they're there and, the, and you could see these trees. They haven't been home since the Trail of Tears. And when they're doing these stomp dances, because we have we're surrounded around a whole bunch of trees and they're doing these stomp dances and they and you'll see these trees just wakening up and these trees are moving and swaying and and you could they haven't heard these these ancestral songs in a long time and I'm getting emotional saying this because the land missed the voices and of indigenous people of Georgia and they're coming home and to be able to not just protect the forest, but to protect black, brown, native lives. See, Native Americans are murdered at a higher rate than any other race and of police by police brutality. My cousin was shot 16 times in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Three of my cousins were murdered by police in South Dakota. One of my friend's son was um, Travion Davis was murdered here in Atlanta, Georgia. When we talk about stopping cop city, we're not just saying stopping cop city in regards to um, protect, not just de defending the forest, but we're saying stopping cop city on police brutality, environmental. It's an intertwined fight that we all have to do. And so I think that it's important that we um that this unity is so is it's we're seeing this unity happen down here and it, and it's so and shout out to Kamau and the movement builders and and so many um the um defenders the land defenders so many people that have been on the front line since the beginning of this fight and for me it's been a trigger it's been a trigger because of the fact that it's, it does resemble standing rock it resembles the infiltration it resembles the police brutality that we dealt with in Standing Rock. I am now at stage four lung cancer because of Standing Rock, because of the chemicals they sprayed on us on Standing Rock. So when we talk about sacrificing the movement, I'm a living sacrifice for protecting our mini, our water and this land and our people. And so we all are have to make a decision in our life on what we're willing to fight to our death for, what we're willing to fight for, what we're willing to sacrifice for. And so we tort, he was murdered. When tort was murdered by the police, that's when black um, Atlanta was like, wait, hold up, the police shot someone? Oh, how can we really be involved? So because the before it was just land defender conversations. And so the thing is, is that now they're like police brutality. And so this is, this is an intricate conversation. I'm so happy we're having this conversation because it is all of us having to come together and I'm, and I'm seeing it for the first time in a long time in movement spaces of how our unity is more powerful than an atomic bomb. Mm. And as I, I know you, you out. I want to make sure that for two things, I want to make sure that you, first of all, you know we love you, and you and our prayers. You know that, and um, you just even to be doing what you're doing, 
um, you know, you driving the community and everything else. It's just and and doing the interview. It's just it's just mind blowing at how how much you can do. And we and we're gonna make sure we keep you know doing all we can to keep you around. I need you to let folks know how they can uh, reach you, support you. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I need you to do that. I need to let folks. How, how can folks reach um, you? And support it's you? Queen Y O N A S D A. Um, I'm on. I'm the only Yonajaha in the world. It looks like Yonazda. I'm the only Yonajaha in the world. Um, <laughs> so you could follow, Google that, and you'll be able to find me. And then also you could um, also, you know what, be a part of the coalition of Indigenous Peoples Movement. Um, follow Indigenous Peoples Movement to be involved on um, a lot of the things that we're working, especially with Cop City. No, and also give me your cash Aww. out. Give me, you know, we, we want Aww, thank you. Too. It's um, Yonajaha Lone Wolf, Y-O-N-A-S-D-A Lone Wolf as well. Thank you. Well, my sister, I I just got this one more, as you go, one more question, one more thing for you to respond to here then. So, you know, with this platform, The Coolest Show, you know, people like platforms and like to get on it. So, you know, we got a good audience. So the mayor has asked to to come on. And so we're not sure how the producers are still weighing, how are we going to do that? And and I'm actually going to listen to y'all. I'm going to figure out what we should do. And but, But if you can say anything to the mayor, what would you want to tell stop cop city realize that the reason why you got voted in the reason why we got you voted and i was one of those people that pushed to get you voted i organized the protest at the cnn building um and it did end up turning into an uprising i was a part of the um stop uh, the police accountability committee with the former mayor um we saw that andre was going to we that was going to be able to try to be one of those new mayors that was going to be able to help us to um, there is a police terrorism issue here in Atlanta here in Georgia we thought that this mayor was going to be a part of that of of stopping police terrorism we did not know that this mayor was going to promote police terrorism so to um, to Mayor Andre we want you to stop Cop City. We have to come up with better solutions. We do understand that um, that th- there is so many organizations that you know that are doing amazing work that is um, to reduce the violence that's in our community. Um, let's amplify them. Let's give them resources, but let's not build an entire Cop City. Um, the officer that trained, and I like that Kamal said this, um, taught, and taught me this, is that the officer that trained, that trained what, 20,000 thousand hours come out two thousand hours of training two thousand hours of training was the one that killed Rashard Brooks so training is not all that it's the it's the system it's the environment it's the culture that has to be rerouted reestablished we will never get real justice on stolen land so let's start there. This constitution wasn't wasn't created by us or none none of that. But we can be able to be um, a staple, a blueprint of what um, a new government should look like. So let's work together and let's come together. Matakiasi, thank you so much. Thank you, my sister. Be safe. Love you. On that, I'm going to Kamal. Kamal, I mean, I just we, we you know we couldn't have been warmed up better than that. <laughs> I, mean, I think I don't think we could have. It could have been so much. And just want to say to my sister, man, we love her so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess the questions we got to start with your the question we have in the cool show for everybody. You know, who is Kamal Franklin and who is your community? 
Well, Kamal Franklin is a community organizer, um, a father, a husband, uh, someone who's been politicized through uh, living in Brooklyn and having his mother be from Charleston, South Carolina, who grew up during Jim Crow, who until the day that she died had a scar on her back when she was in a white Sony playground and got hit in the back by a cop chasing her out. Um, Kamal is somebody who's learned the civil rights movement through that history who read Malcolm, who got politicized, who joined black organizations, who got radicalized. He's later somebody who went to uh, college, grad school, and law school, um, all while living in the projects in Brooklyn, um, and who was dedicated to his community and fighting for black people and black power. Mm. So could we hop right into this? What is Cop City? For folks who now have been like, they have been kind of prepped and say, man, y'all really woman this thing up. What is it? And and why are we talking about it today here on The Coolest Show? Well, Cop City is an idea that comes from the Atlanta Police Foundation, along with the Atlanta City itself and the Atlanta Police Department, which is funded by multiple corporations that we're going to get into. But basically, it is a militarized police space akin to a military police space which is going to be put in or yeah, put in uh, to a forest, which is going to be clear cut for the purpose of building this militarized police base. Um, the forest is connected to or adjacent to a working class black community, which has never asked for Cop City to be built. Uh, the community was promised use of that forest for purposes of camps, for walking trails, for parks. Uh, the city had documented plans, which were they were supposed to be ready to move on. But as soon as the idea of Cop City came to fruition in terms of making it public, they decided to go into Walani Forest. And instead of building out or keeping it as is and making it better for the community, to destroy over 90 acres of that forest for the purposes of building Cop City. Why do we say it's a militarized police training center? Because the center itself, will be over 90 acres in its original um, build out, maybe even bigger than that. Um, that will have mock cities for the police to practice urban warfare and crowd control. Uh, in its original formation, it had places for explosive devices to be detonated. In its original formation, they I say that because they claim they've taken these two out. Um, they had mm. space for a Black Hawk helicopter, uh, landing pad for a Black Hawk helicopter, going to have over a dozen firing ranges um, and it's going to be training officers from around the country. So 43% of the police officers who are supposed to be trained at Cop City um, are going to be coming from around the country. Georgia or Atlanta is no more than the 20th biggest police force in the country, but yet it is building out the largest police militarized training center in the country. In addition to that, Atlanta and Georgia, as well as several other cities, already have relationships and they do st uh, training with the Israeli police force. Um, and we think that that training is going to extend upon Cop City. So usually what we say is that the same training and tactics and strategies that the uh, uh, Israeli police use uh, to kill Palestinians and to harass and, and, and rough up uh, and, and arrest and detain Palestinians is going to be imported here to the United States and the same tactics and strategies that the Amer various American police forces use to kill, harass, jail, 
imprisoned black people are going to be exported over to Palestine. So we see this as a train, this training center, even though there were ideas that came out where they had some planning, let's say, of it before 2020. It wasn't until after the 2020 uprisings in which uh, Rashad Brooks in Atlanta was killed, Breonna Taylor was killed, George Floyd was killed, as many as many others. After those uprisings is when the city of Atlanta uh, decided to put out this idea of building this massive training force. And so while the conversation was around abolishing the police, the conversation was around defunding the police, the conversation was around finding alternatives to public safety other than using the police, Atlanta decided to double down on this militarized policing and to build Cop City. And so not only do we think Cop City is going to be a way to further criminalize black people, uh, 90% of the arrests that happened in Atlanta are of black people in a city which is no longer majority black. So we should be clear about that. Atlanta is 49% black at this particular stage, but yet over 90% of the arrests that happened in Atlanta are of black people. So not only will this be used to further to criminalize and arrest and detain the black community, but this also, because it was brought out after those uprisings, for us is a clear cut way in which this is being built for there to be national and international strategies around stopping movements, particularly movements against police terror and police violence. Come on, just just for the, the record, let tell folks the technical name. What what if you if you were in a in another meeting, you may not hear Cop City. What 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 do they call it from the technical aspects in Atlanta? Actually, I don't even remember because I don't refer to it as such. I call it Cop City because it's yeah, a cop it's city. Like so it, I, I think it's, it's something like the Atlanta uh, a training center. The original name and formation yeah. of it, uh, in terms of the the propaganda materials that they put out were to try to put forth as some sort of civil rights um, uh, training center uh, or training center which is within the tradition of civil rights. They had a slick video where they put uh, pictures of Dr. King and the police, um, and that's what they do now, right? That's what they do to us. They take out heroes, they defang them, take away their politics, and try to suggest that militarized policing has anything to do with the legacy and history of the histories of the people who came before us. So I try only to refer to it as cop city. No, no. And, and, and that's exactly what you should do. <laughs> no, you should refer to it exactly for what, uh, how it needs to refer to it from what you need to stop, which is stop cop city. But I just want to make sure mm-hmm. if you're listening, you may hear occasionally the Atlanta public safety training center. Um, that's just the technical name. I just want—I want folks, if you're listening, if you hear that, we are—that is what we are referring to as Cop City. That's important. to so make sure that mm-hmm. folks may hear that and be like, "Oh, they—they—that's they, they, not what they're fighting against." No, that's that's exactly what this is about. This is um about that as well. So, but before we get more into that, let me actually just bring in our other guest. We have a, who has been on the Cool Show before. They have been here, and I want to make sure that they um, acknowledge themselves. So. Uh, the the wonderful Destiny Harris from Chi-Town, and she has she actually has a similar cop today. If you have listened to before, but uh, hey, Destiny, how are you? Can y'all hear yes. me? I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be able to be a part of this conversation and connect the struggles of Cop City with No Cop Academy yeah. back in Chicago. Yeah, folks who um. Don't remember uh, uh, who is 
Destiny Harris, and who is your community? Yeah, so um, I'm Destiny Harris, Black, queer, organizing or organizer and abolitionist from the west side of Chicago. Um, I am the oldest of nine. My community is all of the Black and Brown and Indigenous youth throughout the city of Chicago on the west side, on the south side, and in the Midwest. And overall, um, I am an artist, I am a poet, I am a creative, I am a storyteller, and I believe in the power of testimonials and just living and speaking and existing in our truth and telling our stories because we all, as you can see from listening just briefly from the show, is that we all have, we all are connected in the struggle. Um, and that's what brings us all together. Our fights may be different, but we're all working towards the same goal of liberation, of a world free of prisons and police and war and environmental racism. And so that's who, that's who I am. Thank you so much for that, Destiny. One of the things here with, with Cop City is that this did take a turn. This fight has been on, as you kind of heard from Kamal. We will get more into that. This fight has been on for some time um, when it was first put forth by actually Keisha Lance Bottom. So we'll make sure that we mentioned the current mayor, but it was actually put in play by the former mayor who was there working along with the police foundation. And as Kamal said, this took place around the time when there was a number of uprisings that were taking place across the country. People were fighting for our liberation um, and fighting for our freedom from police brutality and violence. And so particularly on the on the heels of the killing of people, our sisters and brothers in the streets, many of them simply, unfortunately, just in the most vicious ways, strangled to death, killed, shot in their beds and so on. So people were uprising in the middle of a pandemic. Um, they were rising up. And so one of the things here in that aspect was that uh, uh, this comes to a heel. Obviously, there's a new administration um, that's in play. Um, and so people are hopeful for new things as they, the case. Um, but in that aspect, one of the things here, for me being environmentalist, one of the things we know is that particularly the the, the fossil fuel industry um, which which is which which literally their business plan is a death sentence for our communities, has been killing um, uh, land defenders for many years. One of those that sticks out is Britta Caceres, um, and many many others in in South Africa, on the continent, um, Exxon, Shell, um, Chevron, or as I say in the bay, in the bay Chevron, but they have been killing activists. But this came to a, this came to America. That's probably been before this, but this really came to America. And so before we really get into it, I just want to make sure that we pay tribute because right, ironically, in Atlanta, the, the home of Dr. King and, and civil rights in that aspect, uh, the, the week when they the week when they were uh, paying tribute to Dr. King's birthday, um, that was the same time frame when uh, uh, tort, as you've heard already from Yonazaha, was killed. And so we want to pay tribute to Manuel Paz uh, Tehran, also known as Tortugita, or Tort, or that also means little turtle. Um, uh, and they were a 26-year-old non-binary and Venezuelan environmental activist and forest defender who was murdered by the Georgia police on January 18th while camping uh, in protest of the development of Cop City, and so despite several local and uh, despite several local and federal police agencies, including the FBI, 
participating in the what they had called a clearing operation, end quote, to remove uh, encampments from the site. Police claim there is no body camera footage of the shooting um, that took place. Uh, Stop Kitty sit Stop Cop City's Instagram details that tort quote was a very active part of supporting mutual aid for the community and people in the Willany Forest in um, in that area. And they were part of the Food Not Bombs, a food distribution organization in Atlanta. They ran the medical aid account. Um, and they helped raise thousands of dollars to meet the mutual needs of people of color and people who were defending the force. And so to learn more about TORT, please visit, um, uh, the, there is, I don't have that here. That's, we will fill that one in. Um, so to learn more about TORT, please visit, and then we'll place that there. So I want to come to you, Kamal. Um, how are and and how will the people be impacted by this facility, particularly those locally? And I say this because I've had a number of particularly, I mean, there's been folks who are down in Atlanta, a lot of them, some, you know, black preachers and other folks, unfortunately, uh, and other folks who have been trying to say, this is going to be built. Ain't nothing you can do about this. It's going to be built. Get, get on the train. It's going to be built. So I think you need to dig deep here, Kamal, and you can kind of speak to them as well as folks who are listening. How will Cop City impact physically, environmentally, locally, globally, um, the community where you are? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons why this has become national and international with its scope and attention is because we understand that the building of Cop City is not just a local issue of Atlanta, although it has great impact on Atlanta. So starting from the international and national frame and working downward, when we look at the building of Cop City, as mentioned earlier, 43% of the police that are going to be trained on Cop City are going to be coming from outside of Georgia. So we see this as a continuation of a national strategy by police to come together in some ways forming a national strategy and tactics operations on how they're going to be doing policing in the quote unquote 21st century. Right. So we have police agencies which are going to be gathering together to train together on coming up with common strategies and tactics, i.e. somewhat of a national police force. The idea of the Atlanta uh, Police Training Center or Cop City, which uh, was already mentioned by Destiny, you know, there was a proposal in Chicago. There's been a proposal in Hawaii. New York has built a, a huge facility. So the idea that now we're going to be building militarized uh, training centers, basically military bases for police all across the country as a method of training police in militarized tactics. Uh, remember, all these police departments, they participate in programs where they get uh, from the, the armed forces of the country, where they get military uh, 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 based equipment sent down to them so that they can use in their day to day policing. Um, this is also tied to, in terms of Atlanta, the building out of this, this facility. At the same time that Mayor Dickens, uh, who was always a supporter of this facility, but who said at one point he was foreclosing the jail, the detention center in Atlanta. And then as soon as he became mayor, mayor 
decided to reopen it and have 700 new beds added to it. It was at a point where the, 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 the jail in Atlanta was near empty, ready to be closed, ready to be used for other purposes. Promises were made again to the community about how this jail would be used as a way to help people who were coming out of jail as opposed to jailing new people. Well, he did the switch up. He came into office and he decided to work with the Fulton County Sheriff's Department and to create 700 new beds to extend the amount of reach that the Fulton County Police and Sheriff and the, and the city uh, police department have in terms of arresting people and a place to put people. Just recently, the Fulton, Fulton County itself has announced the building of a new $2 billion jail in Fulton County. So for us, once they build it, they're going to try to put our people in it. Um, and so this is going to have a massive impact on how policing is done on the local level. Environmentally speaking, we're talking about a forest, which, again, over 90 acres is going to be scheduled to be cut down. There's clear cutting that's already started. Um, the Atlanta Police Foundation, a private entity, right, a nonprofit entity, is going to be responsible for the training for the first time in history of a municipal police force, of a city police force. Wow. A private entity, which has the majority of its funding coming from corporations, is now going to be responsible for training the police. This uh, clear cutting of this forest, 90 acres, they've, they've leased them over 300 acres. There's nothing in the lease. Come on, say that. Say that part again. I need you to say that. That that that. You need you to say that part again. How many acres again? Start Ninety from. acres are are scheduled right now to be cut, but they leased over three hundred acres. There is nothing mm. in the current lease that prevents them from cutting down more forest in the future. They have promises to each other, promises to the mayor, promises to the corporations, promises to the city council. None of it has any legal force because none of it is part of the lease. So basically, it's anything that they can throw up on a website to distract people and say they're not going to do something is what they're doing. But they're not passing any ordinance or legislation which limits the ability of the Atlanta Police Foundation to cut more acreage of land. And so it's a very important distinction. So that area, which is southeast Atlanta, the neighborhood that's adjacent, adjacent to the forest, again, 70 percent black. Um, already suffers from flooding and water damage that the forest there helps protect it from. Once they start cutting down more areas of forest, at least open the possibility, the strong possibility that not only that more flooding will happen, right? It also is a, an issue of noise pollution. Over 12 firing ranges are going to be uh, um, operational at one point, at one time in that area. They already do some firing when you go into that area in southeast Atlanta, you can hear the police practicing uh, shooting at different time periods. Mm. When they're going to have over 12 of them in that area, what do you expect? What do you expect with the traffic flow of dozens and dozens of police cars, administrative offices, all located in an area that used to be a forest? So this is going to be an environmental disaster for that particular community. Um, and we also know that even as that's happening, the possibilities because of the corporate largesse and the investment in the area is that they're going to try to do things to bring a, a middle class and upper middle class uh, income people, which basically means white, to that neighborhood and to that community. Atlanta has gone under tremendous gentrification over the last 30 or 40 years. And all of it has taken place under the leadership 
of black mayors and majority black city councils. So it is no accident that we have these black uh, uh, petty bourgeois middle-class mayors who team up with large corporations and developers to do what's best for them as they continually kick out working class and poor black people from this city. And so this, the continued impact of a cop city is going to continue to have the impact of gentrifying, of pollution, of militarized policing, and again, of criminalizing any dissent that arises out of this that they feel they can't control. Hmm. Destiny, you know, cop city isn't the only corporate funded cop city trying to be built. Um, that's the last time you were on the show uh, in 2020 during season two. You 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 had been organizing around the the No Cop Academy on the west side of Chicago. What's the status and implications of No Cop Academy today? And as you're listening to Kamal, you know how are the Cop City and the Cop Academy interrelated, and how do you how are you hearing them to be connected? Yeah, so a lot of stuff that Kamal talked about just made me think of like even more how stark the connections are. So the Cop Academy that was supposed to be built in Chicago, and I shouldn't say supposed to be, I should say is built because they actually just opened the Cop Academy, I believe, uh, in February, um, the construction of the Cop Academy is built and finished. But so the Cop Academy was supposed to be a $95 million police training academy to be built on the west side of Chicago. And, and a lot, a lot, a lot of what Kamal said reminded me of this. Um, and it was actually going to be built door to door to a high school. And so I was thinking about what you said about, you know, the police and their training and how they would be doing mock drills. So the current Cop Academy that they had at the time before they proposed this new Cop Academy was actually next door to my high school and we would hear these mock drills mm. that the police would have they wouldn't notify the school so there would be times where the principal would come on the intercom and say things like oh you know if you hear gunshots it's just a chicago police department training next door um and how like traumatic that was for the black and brown students who attended that school who came from communities that were plagued by gun violence but this cop academy was supposed to be built over 30 acres of land. It was originally supposed to be cost $95 million and be modeled after the police training academy um, in New York. You know, and the NYPD is sort of like an example for of the militarized nature that all the police departments nationally want to operate and follow after. Um, it actually ended up being $128 million. Um, so about 35% more than they originally proposed it to be and they didn't know how they were funded we would ask them how they were funded and there was no plan to fund it um and so this was this was in 2017 so it's 2023 now um that this cop academy was proposed um and the the justification behind building this cop academy um was that the department of justice had did a report on the chicago police department following the killing of laquan mcdonald an investigation on how the chicago police department operated and you know what the department of justice found is like what us organizers already knew was that the chicago police department was inherently corrupt a lot of ways in which they operated weren't up to par they and they're down to like smaller things like having training facilities next to school you you you, you a training facility is not supposed to be located to, next to the school um and so what the city of chicago did was they used this this report by the department of justice as justification as to why they should build this police training academy and facility mm. 
they used it as a sort of like, oh, look, the, the Department of Justice said the Chicago Police Department is corrupt. Let's do something to fix that. This sort of narrative that with more training, the police department can be better. Um, and they also use they so, they use the life of Laquan McDonald as a justification as to why they should build this cop academy uh, in addition to that. And so this campaign was over the duration of two and a half years, spanning from 2017 to 2019, led by black and brown, solely black and brown youth, the young people within the city of Chicago to say no, actually um, to change the narrative around what community safety looks like to us and that community safety isn't, you know, in more police training facilities, it's in investment in school. And this came years after the city of Chicago closed over 50 schools um, in one of the largest public school closings in, in the history of the United States. Um, and me being a young person that was impacted by these school closings in 2013, because my school was one that got closed down it was sort of a slap in the face to, you know, a few years later, all of a sudden we we didn't have money to keep these schools open. We have money to continue funding the police. And for us, this was like, like this was something that we had to get on, especially considering that at the time, it's a lot more now, but at the time, the Chicago Police Department already got 40% of the operating budget. And the police budget continually expanded. But in our eyes, it was like, the, the, the city wasn't getting safer. And if, if police did keep communities safe, then Chicago would be one of the safest places in the world because it has one of the highest police per capita rates than any other city. Um, and just to call out like the priorities of the city in, in regards to spending, like the 40% the of the budget back in 2017, I'm sorry, back in 2017 um, was $4 million a day, hmm. which totaled to about, $1.4 billion a year, which now is like closer to $2 billion a year. So it's like the, the Chicago Police Department gets upward to about $2 billion a year now, but public services are continually being divested from. Wow. And the only thing that is being increased in investment is police. Um, and so for Black youth on the west side of Chicago, particularly, it's like the only time we're being offered resources is when it's attached to police. And that's not a resource that Black and brown youth need. You know what I mean? And even further, so the, in 2019, the city hall, they, they after two and a half years of campaign, they say, you know, we're still going to build it. They did. Um, and it's built now. Um, but later, um, so the the Cop Academy was proposed by a previous mayor, um, but then it was in the middle of a transition, just like much of what's going on in Atlanta. And a black queer woman, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, was appointed into office and had the, the, this was before anything was built. This was before the vote was finalized that she was in office uh, and she had the power to stop it. And she did it. She 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 was a former uh prosecutor, you know, former uh, head of the police board, um, former attorney, um, very much so friends with the police, you know what I mean? And she had the power to stop it being black and queer. That's what she ran her whole campaign on identity politics. We're going to serve the people. She used our campaign. She talked about us, how we were example for the city of Chicago. And much like Kamal said, when she was appointed into office, all of that flipped. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she was the biggest advocate of the cop academy, even so much so to the point where she suggested that a lot of the closed schools be turned into smaller cop mm. academies for the city of Chicago. Yes, during the vote, while Black and Brown Youth were in city council fighting against this cop academy, and as time has gone on, there has been even more developments. Um, so now, 
<laughs> this is so funny. Now the plan is to build a boys and girls club within the Cop Academy. Um, and that's so the Cop Academy was originally supposed to be ninety five million dollars. Now I think it's one hundred and twenty eight million dollars. And that's because there's a thirty three more dollars being allocated to one, make a mock community so that they could practice their drills within the Cop Academy and two, to build a boys and girls club within it, which Black and brown youth within the city also push back against because the resources that the Boys and Girls Club is supposed to provide, the people that need it the most are going to be alienated from them because of the fact that it's located within the cop academy and sort of like trying to put like, yes, sure, Boys and Girls Academy. No, not within the cop academy. Like we can put this anywhere else in the city and it will be okay. But to put it within a cop academy to try to, to make it more palatable to the community is sort of a slap in the face. And so really that that's really what the 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 the, the connections between No Cop Academy and Cop City are, are stark. And I think it just it, it, it highlights the fact of like grounding ourselves in our history and like the movements that have come before us and the parallels because being in Atlanta, I talked to a lot of folks that didn't even know that no cop Academy was a Mm -hmm. thing. And this was 17 and it's 2023 now. So it just shows like the power of like knowing your history and like to be able to see how folks in Atlanta are doing things and how that was different from how we did things. And like, what are the strengths and weaknesses of both? I think what's going on in Atlanta is particularly like, it's interesting to me because it also ties into directly like this issue like of environmentalism um, as well. And so not only like No Cop Academy was very so much about like abolition, like the world that we want to build in order to get that world, we need to build our communities up and, and our communities aren't going to be liberated through, you know, investment in the police. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and what Atlanta, you're able to pull in uh, more people um, because for a lot of people, abolition is, is really scary. But for some people, environmentalism is more palatable than abolition. It feels easier to want to get involved with because it's, it, it, it's, 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 pal- it's more palatable to, I would say, non-Black people, um, environmentalism than abolition. And Stop Cop City pulls both of those things like directly into it. Um, and I think that's interesting because it makes me think about like what Cop City would look like if it wasn't being built in the forest, like would people still care about it and sort of like the way in which it's, we message like the, how folks are talking about how like, no, it's not just about like, let's not build this cop city in the forest. It's like, we don't want this anywhere. It's about protecting black lives, whether we're, t- we're cutting down trees or not. Like that, let's not build the cop academy in the forest. Let's put it somewhere else, but like that we don't want this at all. And sort of, that was a similar narrative of like, what we were saying um, in the city of Chicago, um, the West side being historically divested from a lot of folks were saying, well, well, the South side has these things and do you not want resources for the West side, you know, to try and sort of like make us look like the bad guys for not, for being against this cop Academy. Um, And I think it's just, it's really dope to see the like, this movement is still happening. The work is still done because No Cop Academy, the campaign, I would say, ended around 2019. Then we had the uprisings of 2020. Um, and a lot of the work shifted towards uh, getting cops out of other Chicago public schools. And we were able to do that and cut the uh, Chicago Police Department, Chicago Public School budget by over $30 million. Um, 
which was a really big win for us. But a lot of folks were asked, well, well, what's No Cop Academy now? And what are folks doing now? And so it's cool that even when folks ask me that today, to be able to point to like Stop Cop City and be like, look, the work is still being done. Like, this is not something that was just happening in Chicago. This is not something that's just happening in Atlanta. This is something, this is the, the this is the militarization of the police even further across the globe and even more so in response to like black solidarity uh, and, and community organizing and community building like when you think about the militarization of the police the first time that the SWAT was used was against the Black Panthers and in response to to black resistance that 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 is exactly what the militarization of the police and the military itself is in response to black, brown, and indigenous solidarity and resistance. So I think what's going on in Atlanta now really just puts all of that into the forefront and just shows the like, this is not this is not a, this is not a campaign. This is a movement like that's going to continue uh, for years to come, even after now. So well, yeah. on that note, Kamal, because this is actually kind of where we kind of bring this conversation to its point is that so then talk about that. Talk about. You know, what has been the community response to Cop City? Talk about, you know, some of the other, the activists and the organizers and, and what's next? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so you heard from Destiny that this is, that this is not an easy task that we're, that, that's happening here. And so talk about what is the plan? What's the strategy? If you can, as much as you can, um, what's the plan? What's the strategy? Yeah, and I think Destiny's correct. Like one of the things that we had early on uh, when we started organizing, like obviously we first heard about Cop City um, uh, after the uprisings and, it, and, and, and you know, it just rung to us immediately. Like this was something that was meant to target movements and to continue the militarization of the police against our communities. Right. And then we had that additional aspect of and they're cutting down a force to build it. So I will say that most, if not everybody who's joined the campaign, whether environmentalist or not, has kind of taken on the pledge that we don't want Cop City no matter where it is, whether it's in the forest or whether they propose it in an industrial area. Um, we are opposed to the building of this militarized police center anywhere. It just so happens that we have that extra strategy, um, which is important to us, that not only are, do they have the nerve to build this militarized training center, but they have the nerve to do it by cutting down a forest that is, again, adjacent to a working class black community. And so that allowed us to get, um, let's say, uh, um, a a varied coalition of folks uh, who have worked together for over the last two years and everything from environmentalists, from civil rights group to community members, to black power folks, to radical folks, to anarchist folks, to people who consider themselves communists, leftists. We've had a real great range of participation and activity. And the first part of our organizing that started was actually very traditional in a sense, right? There was the, the town halls, the rallies, the petition drives, um, calling your your uh, calling your mayor, calling your city council people. Uh, most of that stuff was happening. And even at the beginning, that stuff was met, met with resistance from the police. So even early on in our organizing, we'd have arrests that would take place at our rallies, 20, 25 people arrested, Charged with things like resisting arrest, uh, um, um, uh, uh, disorderly conduct, obstruction of governmental administration, standard things that we still would organize against or fight back against, but things in some ways organizers were used to. After the city council decided to vote for this lease, 
Um, and that was in uh, sort of like the, 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 the later part of 2021. That is when our strategy actually shifted even more so towards there being forest defenders, or I should say when people decided to go into the forest themselves and to live in the forest. And, you know, I, I half joke about this stuff, but I was like, you know, black folks ain't moving to the forest, right? We just not doing that in mass. This is not going to happen. Let me just be real with it. Some folks did, obviously, right? You know, all jokes aside, some folks did. But yes, that was a place where a lot of the white allies, the anarchist folks started to do that kind of work. And it's work that we were grateful for, like in the larger movement. People thought there was obviously um, issues, frictions, I think even some frictions around indigenous nation uh, folks who would come and how they felt the force was treated. But it's still our, our coalition held together, right? Um, and then there was even civil disobedience and direct action, right? So we have a, you know, if I was to say that we have a structure, um, you know, the, there basically is, is an autonomous structure. Folks have a diversity of tactics that they use based on their own ideas and organizing. There's not a top-down structure where there are some leader and people are telling folks what to do. And sometimes that works because there's a diversity of tactics and strategies. Um, and sometimes there's even tactics and strategies that some of us don't agree with. But our promise to each other, even amongst that time period, is that we won't go around calling each other out in public for it. So we won't allow media, corporate media, when they see a a a uh, um, uh, a bulldozer get uh, get uh, put put on fire, that we understand that property destruction is less important to us than black people being killed by the police, right? Um, so we do not speak out and have ourselves separated into bad activists versus good activists. We do not allow it, right? That doesn't mean internally we don't have discussions about time, place, when, when we can get in touch with people about that stuff. But we don't allow folks to separate our organizing and our activism. And that has, again, helped hold us together, even during rough times. Um, and you mentioned Tortuguita, and I, and I just want to bring this part home, that even again, when we had our early demonstrations and people were arrested and charged with the things I said, the city of Atlanta, after it passed the lease, and it saw that the movement continued to grow, continued to get attention, the city of Atlanta with the DeKalb County, with the city of Atlanta, with the Atlanta Police Department, the DeKalb County Police Department, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the Federal Bureau of Investigation and Homeland Security formed a task force. And that task force we know about because we got documentation released through open records requests from a meeting that the Atlanta Police Foundation had, which stated that they were going to use domestic terrorism charges against movement activists and organizers. And so in December of last year, they went into the forest and did their first clearing where they uh, arrested approximately six organizers, six forest defenders and charged them with domestic terrorism. And then in January, and you mentioned earlier, Tortiquita, January 18th, they did another raid in which they arrested another five or six organizers and activists, forest defenders, and when they killed slash murdered Tortiquita. And then uh, later in that same month in January, during a street demonstration, uh, they arrested another six or seven people. And then approximately now six to eight weeks ago, they arrested another 35 people and charged 22 of those people with domestic terrorism charges. So we have now over 40 people charged with domestic terrorism. And we have that being done again under the leadership of a liberal black democratic mayor in conjunction, in coalition with, in alliance with a right-wing, white, white supremacist Republican governor. 
as Democrats speak up about what happened in Tennessee and the freedom of speech of the young folks, and rightfully so, who were expelled from the state house for talking about gun violence or for doing a demonstration about gun violence, the same Georgia Democrats in particular that are speaking up about that have not said a word, not said a word about the domestic terrorism charges here against organizers and activists who the overwhelming majority of which were arrested with doing nothing but sitting in tree huts and sitting in encampments in the forest. So it's important that we mention that, that we understand that, that part of our now ongoing tactics and strategies is to continue to fight back against the narrative of the criminalization of organizers here against Cop City. So we're fighting to support the, the people who are basically political prisoners um, and to try to get their charges dropped we continue to fight against Cop City. We recently had a good victory in which we stopped the Democratic National Convention from coming to Atlanta. They say they had other reasons. I think, unfortunately, Destiny, they're coming your way to Chicago, and we'll help you organize protests there. But we understand that we put out information, and we told them, if you come here to Atlanta, it's going to be day in and day out demonstrations against the DNC, because the DNC is tied to building Cop City. These local Democrats are tied to building Cop City. So our strategy and tactics continue to bring economic pain to the city of Atlanta. Uh, if you go to communitymovementbuilders.org, we have a place there that's called Stop Cop City, where we list all the things that people can do to try to help us stop it. And that's everything from calling the corporations who have been involved to tell them to take their money out to divest from it, calling uh, and emailing the, the uh, developers who are trying to build it, uh, build it again, calling uh, city council people, calling the mayor, uh, people doing direct action and civil disobedience at the corporate headquarters um, or outposts of these corporations in their, in their cities and countries, doing banner drops, doing demonstrations, doing town halls, doing teach-ins. All of that continues to be our strategy to fight against Cop City. And in the near future, we're going to announce another big strategy, um, which for us is going to be somewhat of a make or break strategy to challenge Cop City on its face. Because I think just like in Chicago and uh, with, with Destiny's Battle, in spite of our efforts, we've delayed this project. They said they were going to have it built by this time. So we've delayed this project for over two years. But we also know in our delay of the project, they've done everything they can to push forward. So they now control the forest. We have no more forest defenders. They shut down the park that leads to the forest. Um, they built fences to stop folks from getting to the forest. And so they've started doing some clear cutting in certain areas, right? So this struggle continues and it still has life, but we know we have to continue to amp up, amp up or, or up the ante, I should say, in terms of stopping Cop City. And soon we're gonna have additional plans and actions to do that. Destiny, is there anything you want to add before we close? Yeah, I think what Kamal said about, like, people would always ask us after No Cop Academy was over, after the vote passed in 2019, like, how do we feel? How does it feel to lose? And I thought that that was sort of like a narrow-minded question because we won. We were able to get over 100 organizations throughout the city of Chicago to find Cop Academy and to really build a movement of black and brown youth within the city. And also, what you just said resonated with me. It was like, this thing was supposed to be built by 2020, right? Um, it was supposed to be built, done, but I'm, not, I'm sorry, not 2020, 2019, when city council were, were voting on it. We were able to delay the vote two years and a half. And actually, it was supposed to be built by 2019, and it's 2023, and they just finished it, right? That That's four years later 
than what they thought that they would do. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I just think everything that you said um, it was very powerful about the way the like diversity of tactics, like, you know, we called, we, we canvassed, we, we, we called city council. We, 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 we were on the brink of an election. We were saying like, we will not vote you in if this does not happen. We were on a mayoral election. Um, the, we, we surveyed the community needs assessment. A lot of people in the community didn't even know that this thing was happening, even though city council tried to say that people in the community wanted, wanted it going in and talking to the community. I just say like everything that Kamal said, like I resonated with and like, I I just encourage folks to continue to give their support um, to Stop Cop City because there is so many ways to get involved. Like there's so many, there's so much diversity of tactics and um, yeah, like everything Kamal said, pretty much nothing else. Well, Destiny, uh, what's the best way? Because it seems like what Kamal said, it seems like we headed to Chicago. So, so uh, <laughs> it seems like we might be. So, That's- what's the best way to? What's the best way to? What's the best way to get in contact? with you you feel comfortable with that and also what's what, what you want to give any org org websites yeah so i was gonna say also the thing i was gonna say about the democratic national convention coming to chicago um like i think a lot of a lot of folks don't understand that that means like heavy militarization and police presence that, that is coming to the city like a slurpus of police um policing and so that's something that like us organizers on the ground are really trying to get ahead of um because of the fact that like this top academy was just built right um and there's already a slurpus of police presence in the city of Chicago. And so it's going to be a really tough time for black and brown people within the city, especially for politicians that to be coming in, like folks like Rahm Emanuel, who is the former mayor of the city of Chicago, who proposes Cop Academy, who is now doing work in Congress, you know what I mean? And who was doing work in Congress previously for Obama before he was elected as mayor. Um, and so I would just encourage folks to, um, stay plugged into the defund CPD campaign in Chicago, Asada's Daughters. The No Cop Academy site is still up and running. We actually have a documentary that we were able to screen to some of the folks in Atlanta and a part of community movement builders when we went down to Atlanta in solidarity for the week of action. So there's going to be a No Cop Academy documentary coming out that shows like all of the strategy and tactics that we use. If you also go on the No Cop Academy website, we have a whole toolkit like it's so many pages long of like all the things we did outlining our strategy so that folks that are wanting to get into this work and who want to pull from us can do that um and yeah that's pretty much yeah. thank you so much make sure as you know we need a documentary and anything else that hip-hop caucus know you know how we can make sure get that out there into the waves come on uh same question for you i mean you kind of said it earlier what are the websites how can folks uh connect with you uh, and the work, the folks on the ground. Um, yeah, as mentioned, they can go to communitymovementbuilders.org to find out more about the organization and ways they can uh, fight back against uh, 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 Cop City. Also, there's Defend the Force Atlanta, and there's also a stopcop.city website. And I think all of those websites have various amounts of information around the history of Cop City, what the outline or outlay is of what they're trying to build, and ways for folks to get involved to try to stop it. Nah, thank you so much. And I just want to say that we're going to continue to have, we have more folks because we couldn't get all this in. And the time, the time was so fast, we couldn't get it all in. So we're going to have to have more folks come up here. And one thing I definitely I do want to get in is this. I think that Kamal hit on it a little bit, but I want to make sure we touch on it. This is intersectional. We kind of seen that now 
We have Stop Cop Academy. We see where cops sitting. We see how the intersection. We see that their e that their evil is intersectional, which means that our good has to be intersectional. And let me just say that another thing. I was it was the one of the things I know at the at Hip Hop Caucus. They've been working from my from my home state in Louisiana. We've been working on Cancer Alley and stopping trying to stop petrochemicals. Well, the petrochemicals that were that were there were put on the railway and they were put on as non-hazardous. And then they obviously, people heard that they derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. And then that caused a lot of uproar. What was important about that is that the same thing that's killing my folks in Louisiana um, for its petrochemicals derailed, but Norfolk Southern it was carrying it. Norfolk Southern is one of the sponsors of Cop City. And so that just shows you that the railroad company, which is their Georgia-based railroad company, they are one of the funders of Cop City. So think about that. They're funding and sponsoring Cop City. They're, they're, they're taking the chemicals that are being brought to ground in my state of Louisiana, and it's up there derailing, even for poor white folks in East Palestine and Ohio. That just shows you that their, their intersectional is evil. Our intersectional must be for good and for power and for liberation. And that is uh, our guest today was Kamal Franklin, founder of Community Movement Builders and the abolitionist and poet, Destiny Harris. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.